There are two examples of God's grace given in this passage. So we'll first look at Exhibit A and how God's grace came through the Macedonians, and then we'll look at Exhibit B and how God's grace came to us in Christ. But just for some context, as you study Paul's letters, one of the things I want to highlight is that from A.D. 52 through 57, a considerable portion of Paul's time and energy was devoted to organizing a collection among his Gentile churches for, quote, the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. That's straight from Romans fifteen twenty six. The people of Jerusalem, largely a, a, a Jewish congregation, through affliction and through difficulty and, and reasons that we aren't really sure about, the church in Jerusalem was suffering in much poverty and affliction and had many material needs. And so when you come to some portions of Paul's letters, you find him raising support for the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Now what's interesting is that the churches that he's raising support from are primarily Gentile churches. So you've got Gentile churches raising money to support the home church and the mother church people of Jerusalem. So you had a dynamic to this that culturally I think we struggle with at times to to, to grasp. But as I read through this, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, go into a large portion of this. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And as we read it and unfold it, it will begin to hopefully make sense. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to read that again. Because he's got some words paired together there that don't normally go together. In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So you've got affliction plus joy plus poverty equals overflowing in liberality. And I don't know about you, but... That, that doesn't make sense as a math formula to me. Well, it's not math. It's the spiritual life, right? Verse 3, For I testify that, look at this, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us, verse 4, with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness, And in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. 
I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Father, this morning we are truly grateful for your grace. Paul's whole message in 2 Corinthians 8 and really in the whole book is about the amazing grace of God and how it changes hearts. Thank you for the generosity of the Macedonians. Thank you for the generosity of people we see all around us on a daily basis which inspire us to serve and to love and to give. But most of all, thank you for the greatest example of grace, which Paul talks about in Christ. Thank you for what you have done on our behalf through Jesus. And may our understanding of that increase, and may our understanding increase in such a way that grace becomes operational in our lives. We open up our lives and give our lives away, our talents, our finances, our resources. All that you've blessed us with, Father, belongs primarily and ultimately to you. May we be good stewards of our whole life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. St. Augustine defined pride as the movement whereby a creature that is an essentially dependent being whose principle of existence is not in itself but in another, tries to set up on its own to exist for itself. In other words, pride is setting up on our own and existing for ourselves. So for us to go from being curved in on ourselves to giving our lives away... Something has to move and change our hearts so that instead of being selfish and greedy and and oriented around me, something has to move me and change me to become a generous, gracious person who will give my life away. Because by nature, we don't like to give our lives away. By nature, we like things coming in, not things going out. So one of the things we struggle with is making grace operational in our lives, that we grasp it and we like it and we hear it and we believe it, but operating it out in our lives in a practical way becomes a challenge. So recently on a Wednesday night, I asked Bennett, our eight-year-old, how did your Wednesday night kids meeting go? He said, ah, he said, Jesus healed another man. (laughs) He said, but that man didn't have to go to school tomorrow. (laughs) And the whole point was, he had a substitute the next day, and he knew she was going to be there. And so I couldn't get him to grasp that, like, okay, what you learned on Wednesday night about Christ and his power and his sovereignty and his majesty, like, It's hard for an eight-year-old to translate that into making the next day with the substitute go well and have a good attitude about it. Now, before we start picking on Bennett as an eight-year-old, how do we do adults with our generosity? So, you and I need grace. 
And we need examples of grace. We need inspiration to, to give our lives away. You may remember me saying that the Corinthian church was a, was a very wealthy church. The economy was pretty good in Corinth compared to the churches of Macedonia. And the Corinthians had begun to take up the collection to help the saints in Jerusalem. They had started the campaign, but they had not finished it out. And so Paul now begins to give reasons that the Corinthians should should be moved in their heart to continue the collection and fulfill what they started for the people at the home church in Jerusalem. So again, you have a rich-poor thing. You have a racial element in that you have Gentiles giving to Jews. And Paul's whole desire is to unify the church so that they can all understand that we are all sinners desperately in need of the grace of God, not only to save us, but to transform our lives to to become from self-oriented people to to gracious, generous people. So, exhibit A. The saints in Macedonia. Paul says that in verse 1, their generosity, the churches in Macedonia, primarily the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, the way they gave... The amount and the attitude with which they gave demonstrated that God's grace was at work in their lives. In other words, they gave in such a way that the only explanation could be that God was doing something in their lives. That's why in verse 1, what Paul says to them is, Corinthians, we want to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Because the way they gave and the amount they gave was evidence of it took God to do this. So I've got several things that he mentions here about their giving, qualities of their giving, aspects of their giving that I think are inspirational to us. And that's how Paul intended the Corinthians to take them. First of all, the Macedonians, this is exhibit A on grace giving, they gave sacrificially. What was interesting is that in verse 2, as I pointed out this strange formula, that affliction actually led to more generosity. Affliction led to more generosity. In other words, the churches of Macedonia gave sacrificially. It cost them something. They gave not out of their wealth, but they gave out of their what? Out of their poverty. Now that's interesting that they were in verse 2, a great ordeal of affliction. And they gave with abundance of joy, but their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So even though they were facing severe trial, they still gave sacrificially. It hurt them to give. And oftentimes, if you're like me, you're trying to figure out how to give without it costing you anything. This works in other areas that oftentimes our afflictions draw out the best of us 
I thought back to there are times in my life when I've had more free time than any other aspect of my life. But it seemed that those were the times that I wasted my time more than any other time in my life. If I had a very busy schedule, I did better with my grades. But if I had too much free time, it was almost like that created within me a a brand new selfishness that was too much for me to handle. So if you need something done, you you give it to the busiest people because they will find a way to make it happen because they're used to sacrificing. So they gave sacrificially. They also gave generously. Even though they had nothing, they gave everything. Material wealth may hide spiritual poverty. Material poverty may hide spiritual wealth. So one thing we draw from this is how does God measure wealth and poverty? What if Forbes magazine is wrong about who the richest people in the world are? What if Southern Living is wrong? What if Sports Illustrated is wrong about who really has what? The Macedonians gave generously. They gave sacrificially. The third aspect of it, they gave supernaturally. Look at this. They gave beyond their ability. Paul looks surprised by this. How do you give beyond your ability? You say, I can only do what I can do. I thought back to the the, the little story of the fish and loaves where the boy brought his, his sack lunch to Jesus. And it wasn't much, but Jesus multiplied the little that he gave and fed 5,000. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe there was a supernatural element to this that we just don't understand, that the Macedonian churches didn't have much, but they gave it, and God supernaturally blessed it and multiplied it in a way that only God can do. They gave beyond their ability, and only the grace of God could do this. It was a, it was a visible sign of an invisible grace. And I keep emphasizing it. From a human perspective, we would have said it just it doesn't add up. And our conclusion would have to be God did it. Hey, they gave sacrificially, they gave generously, they gave supernaturally, they gave voluntarily. They didn't have to sit through the capital campaign. <laughs> they didn't have to hear the stewardship sermon of the year. They urgently pleaded for the blessing of participating in this ministry. They set the initiative. They didn't have their arms twisted or their brows, you know, hitting the head with a, with a Bible. They gave of the overflow of their heart in a voluntary way. They also gave enthusiastically, pleading for the privilege of giving. And they gave sincerely. I want to highlight this. Their material giving was actually secondary and flowed from a full heart of surrender to both God and to other people. Did you notice what Paul said? They first gave themselves. Verse 5, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. If I struggle with giving any aspect of my life, my time, my money, my gifts, my resources, I've got to go back and ask, have I first given my whole life away 
Just like in marriage, you give your whole life away. And you begin to share everything. And if there's anything in particular that you're not releasing and giving, you've got, got, got to go back to the original intent and the original covenant commitment. I've given my whole life away, the Macedonians would say, to the Lord and to us, to people, by the will of God. First to the Lord, making us God-centered. Second to others, making us others-centered and putting ourselves last. That's the life of the disciple. That's the life of the Christian. And as I work through this, I notice in my own heart how envious I am, how greedy I can be, how selfish I can be. And I've determined that if I have a greedy, envious heart, then I've, I've got my focus on the wrong place. I'm focuses, focusing on what others have and what I don't, rather on the Lord and His generosity to me. And so what Paul factors in here is that he is saying to us, a, a, a generous heart is a joyful heart. But a greedy, envious, selfish heart does not have the joy of the Lord connected with it. And we go back to what, you know, the difference in Cain and Abel. Cain, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Having a generous, selfless heart, God is saying, is a joyful heart. He makes that joy happen. And he tells us a joyful heart is a continual feast. So as I read through the giving of the Macedonians, as I said earlier, I see in me discontent, fearfulness, that I can trust God to fully provide, and, and ingratitude. I noticed this week as I was playing the game of life. You ever play the game of life? I don't know. We haven't played the game of life in a long time. Well, Bennett and I were playing the game of life, and sometimes, just like life goes, Bennett ended up, through the game of life, being a professional athlete making $100,000 a year. Through my spin and my draw, I was an accountant, and my salary assigned to me through the game of life on that particular occasion was about $40,000 a year. So every time Bennett landed on his salary, he got $100,000. Every time I landed on my salary, I got $40,000. It didn't take me long to figure out who's going to win this game. <laughs> but there was a crossroads. And based on the spin, I could have landed on a spot that would force Bennett to trade salaries with me. Ah, the tables are turned. Now I'm going to be making 100000 and he's going to be making 40000 and I'm going to win the game of life. But I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't disappoint Bennett. And so I let him keep his 100000 and I stayed at the $40,000 level. After we were done with the game and Bennett was declared victor <laughs> of the game of life, and I started working through this the rest of the week, and I said to myself, you were very good at being generous with money where it wouldn't have cost you anything real. <laughs> you parents know how sometimes your children at Christmas and birthdays, they get cash from other people. And parents, you, you, you're guilty of this too. You need 10 bucks, 20 bucks cash for something at school or work, and 
you don't have any cash in your wallet, and you say to yourself, ben has got that, he's got that $25 that somebody gave him over there. And so I go and I take $25 of real money out of his stash. And I use it for something that I need to use it for. And I say to myself, I'm going to tell Bennett I took 25 and I'll pay him back. I've noticed that it's difficult for me to pay the 25 back. It's just pastor's confession time in a timely manner. But, oh, I very easily could let him keep his $100,000 salary, right? Why? Because that wasn't really costing me anything. Some of you parents are looking at me. You're guilty of this too. But all I'm saying is notice the pattern in your heart how when it doesn't cost us anything, oh, sure, we're all in. But the moment it hurts and the moment it costs us precious things like time and energy and money and and all the things that we're called to give up, then we're not so willing. So all Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, look, all right, Y'all said y'all were going to do this. Follow through with it. And I'm going to hold up the Macedonians. The Macedonians were poor. They were going through a difficult time. But look at God's grace in their lives. Look at how they sacrificed even to to, to the costliness of what they gave. And be inspired in your own heart. And then you give. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see people sacrificing, whether it's in our church or whether it's people in Nicaragua who we've been administered to, and, and I see people who have far, far less than me, and they seem to be giving so much more than me. I'm inspired by that. I'm moved by that. I'm convicted by that. And all I'm saying is let's look around us and get our eyes off of other people and what they have and put our eyes upon God and allow Him to, by His grace, move in us because all around you, listen, are great examples of personal sacrifice. And Paul wants us to see that and realize that and, and follow through in our own lives. That's exhibit A. The sacrificial giving of the Gentiles in Macedonia. Exhibit B (laughs) trumps Exhibit A to an infinite degree. What's Exhibit B? Exhibit B, to me, being a selfless, generous, gracious, all-in person is the grace of God to us in Christ. I'll be honest with you. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is one of the most... It's one of the clearest verses in the Bible of what God did for us in Christ. The whole Bible is about the gospel. This is a verse that that gives us an overview of, of the Bible and of the gospel and that our lives, our genera- every aspect of our lives, not just our finances, is to revolve around what God has done for us in Christ. Well, what has God done for us in Christ? Verse 9, it also is rooted in grace, the grace of God. God did this. So now I'm, I'm zeroing in on verse 9. You know the grace. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know what He's done for us? Paul is saying you, you know it. You know it. That's, that's what he gets to. But, but as he's motivating them, look, look I, I want you to see how Paul introduces this, how he, how he packages this. 
So the Corinthians had made a good beginning, but then Paul does something very interesting that I think is important and helpful. He compliments them in the other areas in which they excel. That's in verse 7. Look at what he says to the Corinthians in verse 7. You abound in everything. Do you have faith? Check. You got faith. You believe this. You trust this. You also have utterance. Not only do you believe this, but you know how to verbalize it. You know how to speak it. Not only do you have trust, and not only are you able to to speak of your faith and verbalize it, but you have insight. You have knowledge. Look at verse 7. You have faith. You have utterance. You have knowledge. You also have earnestness. You have zeal. And not only that, but on top of that, you have sincere love. So you've got faith, utterance, and knowledge. Those are things outwardly that we can see. And then beneath the surface, you have earnestness and love. One thing they lacked. They lacked giving all. They lacked excelling in the grace of giving also. And that's why Paul in verse 7 says, Look, you've got all these wonderful qualities and evidences of grace abound in this gracious work also. I'm not commanding you. I'm not forcing you. But I'm proving that you have these qualities and the earnestness of these qualities and the sincerity of your love You're going to continue to give to the poor in Jerusalem because I see these other evidences of grace and now you just need this one thing to complete the set. Well, when I was a child, a young boy, I loved to complete the set. Whatever I was collecting. Some of you are collecting junkies as well. And if I had a card set that had 100 cards in it and I had only 99 I had to complete that set. I had to get that one thing that was missing. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you've got all this evidence of grace, only one thing's missing. And because of those other evidences, he knows that this one thing is going to be given as well. Because they knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich. In fact, Jesus was infinitely rich. He is still infinitely rich. Paul is speaking here of his pre-incarnate glory. The glory he shared in eternity past with his heavenly Father as ruler and master over the universe, as having spoken into existence all that is. Though he were rich, he became poor. For our sake, so that we through his poverty might become rich. How did Jesus become poor? Well, we could talk about him being born in Bethlehem among the cattle. We could talk about him being a servant and having no place to lay his head. We can talk about how he moved as a preacher, a missionary, a teacher, village to village, living off the support of of those who were his followers. 
His whole incarnation, his whole life was a venture into poverty for the one who was infinitely wealthy and glorious on our behalf. But ultimately, he became poor upon the cross of Christ. Where momentarily he was separated from his father and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So his poverty was intentional. His poverty was purposeful. So that we might become rich. So we should say to ourselves at times, I will, listen, I will have less so that others may have more. I will become poor for your benefit. And I think many of us would say something I heard someone else say recently. I've become less rich for other people, but I've never become poor for other people. And the point is Jesus became poor for us so that we might become rich. So through his life and his death and his resurrection, he through that was making us infinitely wealthy. And so here we go. We are presently infinitely wealthy. If God is yours, if Christ is yours, then everything is yours. Because he said, don't be afraid, little children. The Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He's, he's given us the whole universe by virtue of our union with Christ. So how are we wealthy in Christ? I came across something that I think demonstrates for us. A quote from Gregory of Nazianzus. Christ was made poor that we through his poverty might be rich. He took the form of a servant so that we might gain liberty. He descended that we might be exalted. He was tempted that we might overcome. He was despised that, we might, that he might fill us with glory. He died so that we might be saved. He ascended to draw to himself those lying prostrate on the ground through sin's stumbling block. We are wealthy in Christ. Jonathan Edwards said we should be happy and joyful because in Christ, this is who we are. Our bad things turn to good, our good things can never be lost, and our best things are yet to come. I could go on and on talking about how wealthy we are in Christ. Really, all of the Bible is demonstrative of that as well. But I will say this, everything about the Macedonians and their giving, you could also say it about Jesus and his giving in an infinitely greater way. Was his giving sacrificial? Absolutely. Was his giving generous? Absolutely. Was it supernatural? Absolutely. Was it voluntary? Absolutely. No one took his life from him. He freely gave it of himself because he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Was it enthusiastic? Yeah, even though in Gethsemane and even though on the cross there was difficulty and there was praying, Father, if possible, not my will, but your will be done. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and it was absolutely sincere. Why did he give so generously of himself? Paul tells us, for your sake, out of love. So when we began this service, our deacon of the week, Brother Benji, 
I didn't hear it, but I assumed that he read the text that I assigned to him. Thank you, Benji. Which was of the widow's might. You know the story of the widow's might? Jesus had been teaching in the temple. And he had told the scribes and the Pharisees, man, they looked the part. They, they dressed nice and they preached good sermons and they walked around and had, like me, they had the best seat in the house. And Jesus said to them, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and all your strength. And you must love your neighbor with, with, with all that you have as well. Live for God and live for others. And do that completely and, and devotionally and sacrificially. And after he gave that message, he looked, and a, a poor widow who had nothing, she had two pennies. And the rich were coming by, and they were given so much more from a human perspective. And she puts in those two small coins, and Jesus says... She gave more than all of them because she did what? She gave all that she had. They gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. Jesus gave her his favor, his attention, his praise. All I'm asking us to do as people who are here today, is look at the Macedonians, look at Christ, look at the widow's might, and then let that grace inform and guide our giving. Because once you keep going back to the cross, you say with Isaac Watts, hey, here it is. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. God, you've been so gracious to us. You've been so good to us when we deserve the very opposite. He, through his poverty, has made us all so wealthy. Not, not just financially, primarily spiritually, right? We are spiritually wealthy. Let's continue to give joyfully. And you know who gets the benefit from that? You do. Because when you move in that way, God blesses you with the joy and the happiness He has because He is a generous, gracious God in every way. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your generosity. Thank You for Your grace. And that while we were sinners, while we were sinners, You died for us. You paid the ultimate price. You did so sacrificially. You did so joyfully. You did so willingly. May that inspire and move us to do that with our lives, that all that we are and all that we have ultimately belongs to you. May our eyes be opened, as Paul was trying to open the Corinthians' eyes, to see the need of the poor around us. Also help change how we view rich and poor. Help us to see spiritually what true wealth is. And help us like the Corinthians to recognize what we already have that is of wealth. Like knowledge and faith 
and utterance and sincerity. And I want to thank you personally, Father, for the sacrifices of all those around me and my family and our lives who, who have given sacrificially, not, not just to me, but to others in need at different times and seasons. I thank you for the giving generosity of people all over the world for the sake of the kingdom to missionaries and to mission causes and to your kingdom work all over the globe. Father, continue to bless that and move that and work in that. And Father, continue to save me from my greedy and envious heart, which you see at times and at times I see as well. Continue to work in us till Christ be fully formed in us as we continue to be sanctified. And one day, Father, we will be glorified and truly begin to, to see and share in the great inheritance of the saints that is to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.